Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. President Obama is visiting India for a second time. This is the first time that a president, while in office, has visited India twice. Here with me to discuss the significance of this visit, the symbolic importance of it, as well as the concrete policy outcomes that we might expect is Tanvi Madan of the Brookings Institute. I last caught up with Tanvi right after the Indian elections, and we had a pretty wide-ranging conversation about the foreign policy implication of Narendra Modi's election as Prime Minister of India. It's been about 10 months since then, and Tanvi and I discuss what's become of Indian foreign policy, what's changed, what's remained the same. Uh, But in this conversation, we focus mostly on what Tanvi identifies as the symbolic import of President Obama's visit, specifically that it lifts what she identifies as a psychological barrier among the Indian political elite as to how to approach relations with the United States. It's a really interesting conversation and the implications of the fact that the world's two largest democracies seem to be moving ever closer to each other could be potentially very profound geopolitically. So stay tuned, fun conversation. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. I post one of these shorter conversations with a journalist or think tank type person every Thursday, and we explore something topical and in the news. And every Monday, I post longer conversations with foreign policy thought leaders or luminaries about their life and career. This was a great interview and obviously very timely. So here it is, my conversation with Tanvi Madan of Brookings. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. One of my colleagues, Casey Schaefer, recently wrote a piece and put it pretty bluntly. She said it's a huge deal. Um, and I think it is. It's, uh, it, it's uh, what most commentators have called it a watershed uh, India exercising the ghost, uh, moving past the psychological barrier. Um, I think it's uh, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. I think one, um, President Obama is showing um, through his uh, his travel there. He will be the first uh, U.S. president uh, to a sitting U.S. president to visit uh, India twice. Uh, no president before has gone twice, um, and he. Uh, very early on in his administration went. Most uh, most U.S. presidents have gone later in their administrations. He went early. We were expecting that he would go a second time, uh, but not so quickly. Um, we thought it would be later in his uh, in his second term. I think he's shown uh, that he is uh, committed to this relationship, and I think that's uh, that's an important signal, uh, and is read as an important signal in India. On the Indian side, I think it's a it's a pretty big deal that uh, this invitation was issued. Um, India has never invited a uh, U.S. president to be chief guest uh, to India's Republic Day. It's one of the highest honors that they can bestow upon a foreign leader. Um, he did, uh, President Obama did address uh, the Indian parliament, which is another honor not often given uh, to foreign leaders. 
but this was one kind of barrier, and there was some, there was, as, as one commentator called it, a psychological barrier to inviting the U.S. Uh, or the U.S. leaders to this, uh, this uh, commemoration of India's Republic Day, which is held every year on January 22nd. Um, and uh, the invitation suggests that uh, Mr. Modi in particular is, wants to uh, not just highlight the importance of the India-U.S. relationship, um, signal, that, uh, uh, the, the signal that it has changed under him, and shown that he is willing to bring this relationship out into the open. Um, the India-U.S. relationship has been moving in a positive direction for a number of years, but there's been a hesitation on the part of uh, Indian policymakers to talk uh, too much about it, uh, lest they be seen as getting too close to the U.S. And so I think this signals a coming of age for both sides, for both countries, uh, that they are now acknowledging the relationship, celebrating it, uh, and celebrating it at this particular event, uh, which celebrates uh, the date, it's the anniversary of the date India's constitution went into effect and enshrines in it India's democratic and secular nature, um, what they have in common, which is uh, uh, democracy and diversity. So you mentioned now twice this psychological barrier. Uh, mm-hmm. From where does this psychological barrier to getting too close to the USA uh, derive? I think they're um, from from at least a couple of different places. I think one, it's uh, it's been political. I think any government, uh, most governments over the last decade and a half, two decades, when they've been in power, have been in in very much in support of a strong relationship with the U.S. because it's been in India's interest. Uh, it has helped meet most governments' economic and strategic goals. Um, but uh, every party, when they are out of power, uh, suddenly opposes uh, the sitting governments attempts to uh, uh, strengthen that relationship. And so you saw the BJP, for example, when it was uh, leading the NDA coalition between 99 and 2004, uh, moved the relationship forward quite significantly. And yet when uh, uh, Prime Minister Moh Singh was leading the UPA, uh, or the Congress-led coalition, uh, called the UPA uh, in uh, between 2004 and 2014, uh, the BJP was one of the parties that was abo- opposing some of the initiatives taken to strengthen the relationship. So I think some of it is political. There's a sensitivity to be seen as um, moving too close to the U.S. Um, some leaders prefer to downplay it. Some people um, uh, even wanted to downright hide the relationship. Um, I do think the other aspect is that there's been an element uh, in, the US, in the Indian foreign policy uh, approach that has been fairly consistent uh, since independence, and I've called it kind of a strategy of diversification, which is having multiple partnerships um, with uh, a number of different countries. And the idea was not to become dependent on anyone uh, too much. Uh, right. And I think but, you know, the Cold War ended that... a while ago, so it, one would presume that, uh, you know, that sort of non-alignment that India embodied uh, for most of the Cold War, you know, that they would have... Um, you know, gotten rid of that by now or, or sort of moved beyond I, I it? Would, I would say that it's distinct. I would say diversification is distinct from non-alignment in the sense that I, I don't think we can talk about non-alignment anymore. I think non-alignment came from a position of weakness to some extent. I think concerns, though, about um, dependence, over-dependence on any one partner, uh, about losing uh, freedom of action, uh, still persist. Uh, that's not about the Cold War. It's about how India, Indian policymakers have seen their ability uh, to make decisions, uh, thinking about Indian interests as opposed to uh, being guided uh, by those of others. 
um, hence the uh, hence the kind of the, the, the almost the strategic taboo of uh, not forming alliances, at least with stronger powers, uh, not wanting to be dragged into other people's um, uh, battles or wars, um, or kind of not having their own independent policy. I think uh, one of the things has become clear is that when they talk about freedom of action, it's not just a means to an end in some for some policymakers in India. It is partly a, a goal in and of itself. And so I think uh, that's an element. And you see it even with Mr. Modi, even as he has brought this relationship out into the open, there's uh, uh, deepening relationships uh, with the U.S. allies like Australia and Japan. Um, he's also maintained the re- will maintain the re- relationship with Russia uh, and potentially expand the economic relationship with China. So I think uh, India is not going to jettison other partnerships uh, but I think what they, what the, this visit shows, and what uh, we see in India show over, uh, at least in, in in actual fact, whether in rhetoric or not, uh, that it has got closer in pretty much every dimension in the last decade and a half. Um, so the first uh, trip that you mentioned uh, was in November 2010 when Obama uh, addressed the Indian Parliament. Um, yes. How has the U.S.-Indian relationship sort of changed or evolved? or presumably strengthened since then? Have there been sort of particular instances in which um, it was demonstrable that the relationship has become tighter and closer? Um, I think, uh, you know, there's been, um, I, I'll answer that in two ways. One is kind of the mood or the narrative of the relationship. And the second is kind of, um, you know, actual, if you just look at uh, trends in terms of economic relationships, strategic relationship, what's actually been happening. I think on the mood and the narrative, you saw after that November 2010 visit um, uh, an increasing momentum, um, uh, partly because of the momentum from that visit, but also kind of facilitated in a, in a, in a sort of way uh, by China's behavior in, in the uh, Asia-Pacific, which was of concern to both the U.S., uh, and India, um, also kind of the uh, the economic um, uh, opportunity that existed. I would say um, there was the, the, then you saw this period of kind of slackening. Um, the momentum was lost over the last uh, not uh, I I think between about 2012 and uh, 2013, maybe even starting in 2011. Uh, partly, and I think primarily uh, because of a few decisions made in India, uh, but also because of some differences uh, that stemmed from the U.S., whether this was uh, concern about India's trade and investment policies uh, on India's part, a government that was just uh, seen as slowing down, uh, not just by uh, governments abroad, um, but also by, um, but also by uh, uh, officials uh, um, or oh, not just officials, but the public within India, there was a sense that the government wasn't getting anything anything done in India. And so many of the things uh, that they had hoped to get done in the U.S.-India relationship were basically sitting and waiting for somebody to implement them. So I think there was a loss in momentum, and I think this affected the narrative. Uh, people were using words like plateau. Uh, but there was, whether there was a plateau or not, there was definitely a slowdown. I think since Mr. Modi has uh, come to office, uh, partly a reflection of his, the, ma- the mandate he has, um, he has uh, managed to, along with uh, President Obama, very much part of uh, part of the uh, 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 this uh, this play, uh, really try to kind of revive and that momentum. 
Um, I think uh, the uh, phone call by President Obama to Prime Minister Modi uh, when he, it was clear that he had uh, won the Indian election in May, uh, followed by an invitation to Prime Minister Modi to visit, his visit in September, uh, and the, the president accepting India's invitation uh, to this Republic Day ceremony um, really has kind of got that momentum going again. The second kind of aspect of this is uh, the substantive issues, and I think that's actually been gradually... Um, um, in actual fact, has been getting closer and closer. Um, you've seen trade over the last uh, few years increase. You've seen um, the people-to-people -people ties increase. On the strategic side, you see two countries that now have consultations on key regional issues, uh, key functional issues, and are also willing to talk publicly about uh, sensitive subjects like the Asia-Pacific and their interest in stability there, uh, which they wouldn't have earlier. So I think you have seen a tremendous change in that impact, uh, in that kind of uh, uh, relationship. And you see these, this in the joint statements that emerge. If you go back and compare the joint statement from 2010 and look at the one that was uh, issued in 2014, uh, you see that the nature of the discussion goes from local to global. So it's not just bilateral. And sometimes it seems like it's down in the weeds, but I think that's a reflection of uh, the habit of cooperation uh, that they have developed and the fact that they are now talking details and not just um, in so kind of broad generality. On, on those lines, um, you know, you've discussed the symbolic importance of this trip. In terms of any sort of concrete policy outcomes uh, that this trip might yield, do you see any potential uh, that, you know, Modi and Obama will make a some sort of climate announcement not too dissimilar to what uh, the U.S. and China agreed to in Obama's trip to China uh, last fall. Some sort of, you know, big public statement uh, in which there is some sort of, you know, climate-focused and, and pretty maybe even specific targets around uh, emission reductions. India, of course, being the, you know, I think third largest emitter in the world and the Paris uh, talks coming up at the end of uh, November in 2015 being like a key inflection point on the international climate diplomacy agenda. So do you see anything coming of, of that at all? I think it's one of the priority areas that has been identified and it's been made clear that this is something the two sides uh, will be um, uh, discussing, have already been discussing in uh, through task forces uh, in the lead up to the visit. I think some of the agreements themselves will come down to the wire I think one of the things uh, we shouldn't expect is a deal similar to that uh, in terms of the U.S. and China. India has spent the last few months distancing itself from the Chinese position, uh, pointing out that it's been at a different stage of development uh, than China has. Its per capita uh, emissions, uh, the energy intensity is, is very different. Um, and so I think while you, I think we will see um, some amount announcements, I think we will see an effort uh, to, to actually continue discussions. We might even see some sort of uh, announcement about the kind of agreements they would like to reach. Um, and I think we will see um, uh, a number of different initiatives either announced or a discussion of them on clean energy, um, uh, not just technologies, uh, but perhaps uh, some sort of funds that might be created uh, or that might uh, allow grants uh, to be given to companies uh, that are kind of producing clean energy technologies for uh, use in India. So I think we we will see this be one of the um, areas, one of the baskets of issues that will be stressed. I think it's a priority of the Obama administration. And I think increasingly you will see 
uh, that it does become more of a more more and more of an issue in India. Uh, the visuals of Republic Day uh, will make clear that uh, because you'll see the air in Delhi. Um, but this is an issue that is going to be front and center in the Indian public's mind. So I think uh, while we might not see uh, as ambitious a, um, an effort as uh, uh, in terms of the uh, China-U.S. announcement, uh, I think we will see some an- announcements on that front. Did you say, like, we literally see the air in Delhi as in the smog will be pretty heavy during the Republic Day Parade? Um, the, 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 the readings have been, uh, fog has been a general, is always a problem in India in winter, um, with, uh, pollution levels that have been, uh, high, especially in terms of particulate matter. Um, you know, it depends on the day, it depends on if it rains the day before or not. Uh, but over the last uh, few days, uh, smog has, uh, in the last few weeks, actually, uh, smog has been a problem. Uh, and so I think it really depends on the kind of weather conditions, uh, beforehand, uh, but it wouldn't be surprising if uh, the, the you, you, you won't see as blue skies as uh, you did perhaps uh, even a year or two ago. Um, but it's, uh, so it's, it's, it's not something uh, one can predict just now, but uh, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you do see some of the haze um, over uh, some of the monuments that you're generally able to see from a uh, distance. Um, so before I let you go, I wanted to uh, talk a bit about uh, India-Pakistan relations in the context of Obama's visit. You know, last time we spoke, uh, right after Narendra Modi's election, um, there seemed to be this moment of cautious optimism that uh, relations were steadily improving between Pakistan and India. Though for my, you know, reading of the situation currently, things seem to have deteriorated a bit. There are skirmishes in Kashmir. Um, I think I read this morning that a Pakistani airline office in India was shut and the CEO's visa was revoked. So there seems to be some at least petty back and forth going on. What can you um, say about sort of how this visit might shake up current trends in India-Pakistan relations? I think one of the things that the Obama administration has tried to do is um, de-hyphenate the relationships to the extent that that's possible um, and not make this kind of a a zero-sum game. Uh, uh, Secretary Kerry, when he was in Pakistan, stressed that he um, thought that India and Pakistan had to solve their problems. The U.S. could... Uh, be helpful if both sides wanted it to in uh, in any way, but that he thought it was primarily something the two countries had to uh, had to sort out. I think the two countries it is I think it's one of the the relationships that um, has been problematic in terms of uh, the general kind of landscape for India. Uh, there is has been a sense that the security environment has deteriorated. Uh, both on the border, but also in terms of uh, um, activity, in terms of terrorism stemming from and threat, um, threats of terrorism emanating uh, from Pakistani soil that have been highlighted by uh, American and Indian officials in the lead up to President Obama's uh, visit. Some sense that there is an effort to uh, uh, to disrupt um, to disrupt that visit or take the attention away. Um, and Prime Minister Modi has. I think on both uh, uh, China and Pakistan has made clear, uh, at least in in theory, that he's going to take two approaches when it comes to countries like China and Pakistan, which is reach out um, to these countries, but also have very strict red lines about Indian sensitivities. Um, And I think what we we saw um, was uh, whether or not it wasn't clear, and I think still isn't whether 
uh, the Pakistani High Commissioner meeting with uh, Kashmiri separatists was a red line. But I think what that did is uh, uh, created the opportunity for some to make the argument, and those were the foreign secretary-level talks were cancelled. And since then, there's been uh, very little of official engagement, uh, at least on the track one level that we know about. Um, and since then, we've seen this deterioration in the security circumstances. Uh, it's not quite clear what the next step is. Uh, uh, troops have uh, instructions to not just uh, respond if there's firing on them, uh, but perhaps to kind of uh, um, uh, kind of not just respond exactly in kind, but perhaps take a step, uh, a few steps further, to show that India won't brook. Uh, cross-border firing as it has in the past. The previous government's policy had been to look the other way. Uh, and this government has made clear that they will not follow that policy. I think uh, they've it's kind of a no-tolerance policy, and I think the Pakistani PIA officials uh, uh, being, uh, his visa being revoked was because they found that the PIA uh, officials the had... PIA had is the really, airline, the, the Pakistani yeah, airline that the does Pakistani the flights. Pakistani international airline. Right. Um, they had found that through a third party, they had bought uh, uh, some, I think, property in India, which is illegal. Foreigners uh, can't buy property, uh, and I think Pakistanis in particular can't. Uh, it's a reciprocal arrangement, can't buy property, and they had done so. So I think, yes, there's a, there is a, especially when there's a no-tolerance policy, things that uh, would have kind of gone under the radar, um, they do make a point. Uh, the question moving forward is um, with... Uh, India is saying the ball is in Pakistan's court. Um, the um, military, often the deciders on issues like this and not the civilians, whereas India talks to the civ Pakistani civilians, not the military. How do you find a way out of this? Um, I think there is, um, that is a, a open question. Uh, and it has implications not just on the counterterrorism uh, um, um, uh, question for both India and the U.S., but I think it has implications for the situation in Afghanistan, which are obviously both uh, India and, uh, and the U.S., but also Pakistan uh, have deep interest in. So I think there's, this is one of the, the relationships that uh, they, I think they, the President Obama and Prime Minister Modi will discuss the situation in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Uh, they will discuss uh, the, broad, the situation in the broader Middle East. Um, ISIL is something that India is also concerned about. Uh, and I think they'll also discuss the regional situation to the east of India. Um, so I think this is part of what they do consult about now. And uh, I think um, one of the sets of discussions will be what uh, to, for the U.S. to understand what the way forward uh, in terms of India's perception of the issue and what policies they, uh, they intend to implement vis-a-vis uh, -vis Pakistan over the next, uh, next few months. Uh, well, Tanvi, thank you so much for your time. This was helpful as always. You're very welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. Now, if you're into in-depth conversations about Indian foreign policy, I recommend that you check out my previous conversation with Tanvi, which I published on May 14th, right around the time of the Indian elections. And we talk about the foreign policy implications of Narendra Modi's ascent. So there are so many ways you can find Global Dispatches. I post every conversation to undispatch.com. Also on globaldispatchespodcast.com, you can find links to download the free app. That's right. We have a standalone app for your iPhone and Android where you can peruse our entire and robust archive of foreign policy conversations. And of course, we're available on iTunes and Stitcher and pretty much everywhere a podcast is available. 
Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.